What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Hey, everyone. This is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hey folks and welcome to Movie Crush. This is Chuck Bryant here in our home studio at Pond City Market and today my old pal John Hodgman uh, is on the show and this this was a fun interview. John and I met about eight years ago when he sent an email to Stuff You Should Know that said, guys, I'm a fan, I'm a listener, this is John Hodgman, I know you're coming to New York City, would you like to have lunch with me and Wyatt Sinek of The Daily Show because Wyatt turned me on to your show. And uh, quite literally, that email kind of changed my life in many ways. Uh, we did have lunch with Ian Wyatt, and it was our first sort of uh, like celebrity encounter with people who listened to the show, and it was very early on in the days of Stuff You Should Know. And since then, John has been a good pal and a mentor in many ways, even though I'm like four months older than him, which is a little weird to have a mentor that's younger than you. But uh, John's an awesome dude and a very – kind, generous person, um, and everyone should know that. And uh, he came in to talk about The Avengers, Marvel's The Avengers, the original Avengers movie, uh, while he came through town on his book tour for his great, 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 great new book, Vacation Land, True Stories from Painful Beaches. Uh, it's really fantastic. I read it, and it's a creative leap forward for Hodgman and uh, just a very warm, funny, endearing book of essays about him and his real life. No more fake facts and no more uh, uh, deranged millionaire character. This is Hodgman actual laying it all out there about his life. And uh, his his live vacation land show was great. And this new book is fantastic. So I urge you to buy it. Make a great Christmas gift for folks. So uh, here we go with John Kellogg Hodgman and the Avengers. Uh, the best thing about Escape from New York – this is not the movie we're talking about. No, but we, we can talk about all kinds of movies. Escape from New York is one of the movies that that is in a, in a very specific genre mm -hmm. of contemporary apocalyptic New York City. Yeah. And another one would be The Warriors, of course. Yeah. Not, a fantasy film uh -huh. because guess what? There aren't crazy gangs wearing right. wearing uh, baseball outfits yeah. and clown makeup. <laughs> too bad in Manhattan. Mm -hmm. And also, by the way, guess what? Gangs aren't interracial. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, that's but a good point too. Coney Island Warriors. Yeah. You know, you have your Latinos and your white dudes and your black guys. Uh-huh. They had all the bases covered. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's that's an amazing – that's what makes the Warriors so special I suppose. Yeah. The fact that the Gramercy Park riffs were so cool but it was, you know, all black martial arts gang yeah. in Gramercy Park. This, yeah. One of the toniest <laughs> – one of the, the only private park right. in New York City. No, they had keys. Yeah, and even then – in New York City, there was there was wealth around Gramercy Park, right? But those movies only worked because there was the popular conception coming out of the bankruptcy of New York City in the seventies that it right. was a lawless land that was going to go, it was going to go, you know, just going there, you were going to uh-huh. die. Yeah. you know what I mean. And there was something to that. I mean, even in the late eighties, early nineties, sure. when I would take the train from uh, Yale University, where I was educated, into the city. Mm-hmm. And then go over the shuttle and get to the go to Penn Station. I was on a way. I was on a trip. I was on a trip to see. I was on a trip. My my gang and I were <laughs> stranded at Yale, and I had to get back to Coney Island. The Yale Tuffies. Yeah, exactly. The Yale Tuffies. The Yale Wiffenpoofs yeah. and I. <laughs> no, I would go and visit my my then girlfriend, now wife, who was going to college at Bryn Mawr. So I had to make my way via commuter rails and subways. Yeah. Because I couldn't afford the Amtrak to get out to Pennsylvania, uh-huh. and one of the tricks was to take the train to Grand Central Station from New Haven, then take go down one on the subway, cross over on the shuttle to Penn Station, then get at the New, New Jersey Transit. And Where was Bryn Mawr? Is that New Jersey? No, it's in uh, outside of Philadelphia. Oh, okay. It would take New Jersey Transit to Philly uh, 30th Street Station in Philadelphia. Man, yeah. that's a trek. And then you would take the SEPTA train out to Bryn Mawr. So Penn Station was probably pretty scary. Penn Station was – it was very – I mean it was very scary. And I, I remember going through there once late at night. And it's it's surreal because I've walked through this underground passageway yeah. from the subway to the train to the commuter train platforms mm-hmm. many many times since then, and it's obviously bright and clean and there's a you know art, art, artisanal shoe shining and yeah. yeah you know what I mean and like uh-huh. uh, and and a, and a wrap store or whatever right that's not right not you know what I mean sure I'm not talking about guys selling wraps yeah. <laughs> Also, let's not use rap store because I'm like now I sound like it's 1998. Uh-huh. <laughs> what would you find in this thing? Now it's nice and clean and 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 well lit. Uh-huh. And there and there's like an artisanal coffee roasters there. Right. But at the time, it was flickering fluorescent lights, 2 a.m., and home homeless men and women sleeping in you know throughout the throughout the passageway. Yeah. Like all one by one next to each other, and it was. D- upsetting and sad and terrifying to wander through. Yeah, and uh, and now we wonder where all those people went. The cleaning up of New York came with a cost. Yeah, I mean, I've started going to New York in like 1994, and even then, um, right, Times Square still had the peep shows. Sure, and it was before the the broom came through. Yeah, in exactly. a big way, the Giuliani broom. Yeah, but it wasn't like you know I've seen the pictures of the. Of no. The, of the 80s and 70s New York. No. And, you know, so another movie from that era would have been like Panic at Needle Park. Yeah. Which was like, you know, the, every every green space on the Upper West Side was just full of people with needles in their arms. Uh-huh. And it wasn't untrue. Isn't and it so, crazy that New York got that bad? Like a place yeah. that's so expensive and tony that it was and really – It let itself go that much. Yeah, but it was – that was what was happening throughout – Culture in the throughout American culture in in the sixties and the seventies, yeah, which is white flight. Ever all the you know, with, with some exceptions, you know, all the white people were going out to the suburbs, yeah, and through mismanagement and financial catastrophe and economic and, and national economic uh, catastrophe, yeah, New York went bankrupt and it was just a mess. It's crazy, I know, but that you know all the and then art, all the artists came in and right. punk rock. It was a vibrant time. Uh huh. It's the time that everyone in New York wants to go back to instead of Manhattan yeah. being this weird Disneyland for right. European tourists and uh-huh. billionaire money launderers. <laughs> New York is a weird place. It's definitely strange when people are like, it was so much better and it was shitty and dangerous. <laughs> yeah. But it's the, same, it's the same thing as everything. America was never great. It was great in some ways, horrible in other ways, great for some people, horrible for other people. Are you saying we're not making America great again? Well, there's no point. <laughs> we don't want to go back to what whatever was determined as greatness before. Yeah. We want to, the, America has always been about a, 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 aspiring to a certain greatness. But yeah. I digress. I'm talking about Escape from New York. Right. The idea that New York at some point – You could buy it because it was sort of looking that way anyway. Yeah. At some point in, in, the, in the near future, the government would just be like, 
There's no point. Yeah, just put There's up no point. Just put, let's turn it into a prison. Yeah. Let's turn it into a maximum security. That's such a fucking great no idea for a movie, prison. though. You know? Yeah. And, and, and it may, like, now you look back and it's like, that would never happen. But at the time, it did seem like the natural extrapolation of what was going on in New York. Eventually, right. you'd get the last, like, Rockefeller biddies out of their white, their white brick apartment yeah, building. The guardian angels would lay down their berets. Yeah, that's for right. good. <laughs> Our, we, we we give up. We give it up. Yeah. Uh, uh, Isaac Hayes, Harry Dean Stanton. Here are the keys. Uh huh. Oh, I forgot Isaac Hayes. Isaac, yeah, that was Isaac Hayes. I think. Was oh yeah, one. for sure. And Harry Dean Stanton, of course, was in it. Yeah. And, uh, and Donald else. Pleasance. Donald Pleasance. And Adrian Barbeau. Adrian Barbeau. Who I mean, we're the same age. Who didn't have a big crush on her when you uh, were when you were twelve. I, d- I still do. I think she's... A- Probably so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen Swamp Thing in a while. But Chuck Bryant. Yeah. Now New York holds a different sway over our imaginations. Yeah. And we're here to talk about one of the great New York movies that was filmed in Cleveland and Albuquerque. Marvel's The Avengers. <laughs> well, yeah, but before that... Oh. Before we get to that... Okay. Uh, I want to hear a little bit about your... Uh, because I think anyone who listens to your shows or reads your books know that you worked in a movie theater. Yes. Uh, so we always here at Movie Crush like to start out with a little background. Okay. It was obviously a huge thing because you don't go and work in a movie theater unless you want to see movies for free. Um, or you might really love popcorn. Yeah. Or is that it? <laughs> dealing with crazy people. <laughs> I'm from Brookline, Massachusetts. I am 46 years old. Yeah. Which means that I still worked – I was able to work at the Coolidge Corner Movie House when it was called the Coolidge Corner Movie House. Now it's called the Coolidge Corner Theater. It's still a great movie theater. But uh-huh. at the time I was growing up in the uh, – and, and and sort of coming of age in the 80s, Yeah, Boston was a hub. They call it the hub. But Boston was a hub for independent uh, cinema and art uh, – independent movie houses okay. and art cinema houses. And so you had not only the Coolidge, but you also had the Orson Welles. You had the Janus. Uh-huh. You had the Brattle Theater, which I think is still going. Uh, you had the Hole in the Wall Theater in Central Square, if I remember correctly. Uh-huh. Um, the Nickelodeon Theater, uh, r- right by the right by the entrance to the Turnpike, had five or six screens that was showing international movies, wow. art movies, everything else. It was a really you know a wonderful time to. To go and see a whole bunch of movies. And the Coolidge was close to your home. The Coolidge was relatively close to my home. I mean, I when I was in my early teens, I lived kind of in the western, much more suburban part of Brookline, Massachusetts. Yeah. So my my home theater was the the General Cinemas Theater mm-hmm. uh, right near the Chestnut Hill Mall. Okay. But even then, you were going to see a bunch of like. I mean, I think it's just the difference of the times. But I remember going to see uh, uh, a movie called Comfort and Joy, a Scottish dark comedy called Comfort and Joy there. I think I've heard of that. A famous movie maker whom, whom I can't remember right now, but uh-huh. uh, um, a local hero. Uh, oh, sure, yeah. I think it may have been the same director now that I think uh-huh. of it. Yeah. Um, they, had, they had, you know, because at that time, uh, their, the, the movie rental biz was just just beginning to right. catch hold. Yeah. So the movies were there for everybody. You had you had movies for kids, you had uh-huh. movies for teenagers, you had movies for grown-ups going on grown-up dates. Right. And they were all being shown even in the big chain cinemas. Yeah. So the general cinemas was my jam. That's where I saw Return of the Jedi. Yeah. That's where I saw the first R-rated movie I ever saw, George Orwell's 1984. Okay. Uh, I got stories to go with both of those if you need them. Uh, but then I also would go into Coolidge Corner, which is in the more in the more cosmopolitan urban part of Brookline. Um, and and the Coolidge had two 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 screens. Mm-hmm. One had been rescued. It was a very old sort of movie palace that once had a balcony. Yeah. And the balcony, uh, sometime in before I turned uh, ten, I would say, was converted into a uh, a second cinema. Oh. And they showed only repertory, only rep. So you would get a big every week. There would be a big mimeographed sheet of all the movies that they were going to show, uh-huh. and it would be double features, different double features every night, and wow. a different matinee every day. So great. So it would be, and I remember going to see like a double feature of Ivanhoe and Robin Hood uh-huh. on a Sunday <laughs> afternoon. Yeah, 
Uh, they did a lot of Marx Brothers. They did a lot of obviously classic film noir. Uh-huh. Um, they did tons of samurai movies. I yeah. think I saw you know, Jimbo there for the first time. I think I th- saw Seven Samurai there for the first time. Now, was this while you were working there? You saw most. No, of No, this is all before I before I right. worked there. This is. I mean, this was it was my dream job of all dream jobs, uh-huh. and I applied. It was not a particularly rigorous application process, to my surprise. <laughs> yeah. When I turned about 17, I kind of went in there. I said, do you have any jobs? They're like, get going. Here you go. Here's a here's a hokey cat. Go sweep up the carpet. Uh-huh. And you and, went, do you mean it? Yeah. I said, really, <laughs> sir? And by that time, it had transformed. It was still independent. I mean, it was still owned by the, this one guy, Justin Freed, who had owned it for many years. Mm-hmm. But it, but the whole repertory thing had calmed down, and it was doing runs of in uh, of foreign foreign films and indie films, right? Longer runs, and also some second run Hollywood, like you know Hollywood stuff. Right. Things were by that time it was nineteen eighty eight, eighty nine, and the and the and there was a big video store, a great video store called Video Smith across the street, uh-huh. and the the idea that you would go to the movies to see an old movie was starting to drop off. Right. So I remember big long, big long runs of for, like a French film called Le Souffle au Coeur, uh-huh. Murmur of the Heart, a uh, long run of a of a mo- uh, movie called Chocolat. Oh sure. Um, uh, what was another one? We did we did a we did the big, uh, the big remastered re release of Lawrence of Arabia. Oh yeah. And one of the projectionists there. There were two projectionists, well, three really. How old were those dudes? It's funny, you know, because I was, I was, you know, I worked there when I was seventeen, eighteen, nineteen years old, like mm-hmm. that. My last job when I it was my last job when I was in high school, and then I would come back and work summers yeah. and, and breaks when yeah, I was sure. coming home from college. And I would imagine they couldn't have been thirty. You know what <laughs> I mean? Seemed super so they old. seemed like real grown-ups. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Isn't that funny? Yeah, maybe they were thirty, thirty-one. Yeah, and it was a really amazing group of of people for the most part. I mean, it was a group of of like weird teenagers like me, film lovers. All I imagine. all film lovers, yeah. and then people in their, as I say, their mid twenties to their mid thirties, who were also film lovers, and you know, this was a time. You know, they were they were going to art school or they were aspiring filmmakers or they were, yeah. you know, not really sure what they were doing in their lives. Right. Um, and and those old those slightly older people, you know, really were uh, I felt like I was hanging around with the coolest older siblings I've yeah. ever met in my life. I never worked in a theater. I worked at a great video store in college. Yeah. Great job, too. Yeah. It was one of those things where if you're going to make minimum wage somewhere, then it beats working at uh a gas station. Right. It, I was just saying I'm right now on book tour for my book Vacation Land available now at all bricks and mortar stores and mm-hmm. online. Uh and I was and and I someone asked me about my favorite job. I'm like I'm I mean the Coolidge was my favorite job. Yeah. But second favorite with a you know just inches behind was working at Film Fest Video in New Haven. Mm-hmm. Well, that's where you meet. I mean, that's where that's where I got my Great film education was in college because right. the dudes there said, "Oh, you don't know who Jim Jarmusch is." You know, and you know, they sent me like I thought it was cool because I like Spike Lee. They're like, "Oh no, man, you right. gotta you gotta dive deep." You, you have no nothing, right? <laughs> yeah, sort of like that. You know nothing, Chuck Bryant. Yeah. I will show you. But they did teach me a lot. Yeah, I loved working in the movie theater more than working in the movie store. Mm-hmm. Working in the movie store was amazing. Because uh, well, I love working in the movie theater more than working in the movie store because the movie theater was still theater. Yeah, like there was still, an, especially at the Coolidge, there were new shows. Uh-huh. There was definitely a Muppet Show vibe of like we got to it's time to it's time to start the music. It's right. time to light the lights. There were big rushes. People would come in. You'd be working real hard, uh-huh. and at the end of the night, you felt depleted and like you wanted to shoot something over the street. With, yeah, with a it's like a restaurant butter rush. pump. Yeah, exactly. Whereas, you know, a movie store, it's retail. People yeah. are wandering in and out and everything It's a lazy else. job, let's face it. But, yeah, and I'm, I'm, believe me, I'm lazy. Yeah, same here. <laughs> and all you, you know, you just watch movies all day long. Yeah. And the great thing about working in a video store, because you couldn't watch movies in the in the movie theater necessarily. Right. The great thing about working in the, movie, in the video store was that you, you had nothing but time to fill with bad movies. Yeah. Or you had nothing but time to fill with movies, so you had permission to watch bad movies. Also, you were probably, 
you know, in your late teens or 20s when you thought you were immortal anyway, so why not waste time watching terrible movies? <laughs> yeah. But there's a certain education you get from watching not just like famously bad movies, but uh-huh. just middle of the road, mediocre yeah. rom-coms that and aren't junk. funny, bad or cool, bad. Yeah, but it's just, just like not good. Yeah, you learn. Oh, that's who you know. Eventually, you're like, mm-hmm. oh, that's Bill Pullman. He was in that. Right. You know, <laughs> <laughs> there's uh, there's Xander Berkeley. Right. I remember him from. Uh, <laughs> I remember him from uh, what's it what's it called? Uh, 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 oh, come on, Virginia Madsen horror movie. She, Oh, uh, Virginia lo- Madsen? Virginia Madsen horror movie, very famous. Genre- Last Exit to Brooklyn? No, 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 no. Jennifer Jason Leigh. This is, this is a movie you know. This is a movie you know. It's a horror movie, Candyman. Oh, yeah, sure. With And the and the uh, African-American man who played Candyman, yeah. famous genre actor, uh-huh. uh, Tony. I, I mean, I can picture his face. Tony Todd. Thank you very much. Good, good pull there. Nice to know. Yeah. Where were you when I needed Louis Malle? Come on, dude. <laughs> you should be. You should be doing that. You should be. You should have him on the IMDb throughout this whole thing. Oh, just like uh, fact checking, feeding us ref, feeding us references, refs. Yeah, feeding us refs. <laughs> uh, but my brother worked at a. He was a general manager for um, AMC for a while, and like ran theaters and open theaters. Oh. So he would always get me, and this is, I think this is college and post college. But he would get us the sneak previews. Mm-hmm. Uh, like literally, and it was during that time where he's like, "Hey, man, there's this new movie called American Beauty, yeah. and it's the buzz is good. Have, haven't heard of it." And so he'd screen American Beauty, and Magnolia was another one, right? That I hadn't heard of. Uh, you know, I knew Boogie Nights, but yeah. And then he got us into Star Wars early. You know, the of course they were the the bad ones. Oh, the prequels. Yeah, but we didn't know that at the time. Right. You know, all the excitement. We only, around that first one. We was, got to do that a couple of times too. Uh-huh. We got to see Slacker. Was, oh yeah! Uh, one Love afternoon, it was ama- It was great. It was an amazing mm-hmm. experience. But you know, the the legendary story, and, and obviously I wasn't there for that. But was they got Empire, and before and oh, did wow, and they did a private screening yeah. of Empire, and they didn't know what they were in for. Yeah, and they got what they got was Empire Strikes Back. Uh huh. Can you imagine being one of the first people in the world to see Empire Strikes Back? Yeah, come That's on, pretty neat. That's amazing. But I'm not saying like just what that would f- – not like wh- – isn't that awesome that they got to do that? But like what that would feel like. Yeah. You're walking around. Having, having seen, knowledge. Having seen Empire Strikes Back. Yeah. And no one else had. Yeah. My friend in elementary school is a very – you know how you have these memories that just are lodged forever. Yes. Uh, I remember in elementary school, one of my friends saw a sneak preview of Raiders. Mm-hmm. And – um I remember him coming to lunch the next day, and it was literally one of these things where he was like, guys, yeah, like, we have – like, this is serious shit. Yeah. We got to talk. He's yeah. like, I saw this movie last night. It was called Raise the Lost Ark, and, and there was a big boulder, and there were spiders, yeah. and there were snakes, and there was this dude with the whip, and, and it was literally like that for an hour, and all of us were like, I've never heard of any movie like this in my life. I remember when Raiders came out, and this it was the same kind of whisper campaign. Uh-huh. Where it was – I remember, I remember Peter Rosenmeier saying to me – there is not a moment where it is not exciting. Like yeah. it is just constant excitement. Yeah. And uh and and everyone was talking about it. It was a completely different kind of movie experience mm-hmm. because even the movies that it was based on. Right. Those those the old serials, adventure films, those old uh-huh. adventure serials, those things were only like those were those were short subjects, you know? Well, yeah, but You'd it get was them certainly for like 20 minutes and then Yeah. It was nothing like anyone our age No. in the 80s had seen anything like that. No. There, I mean, even Star Wars, which came before it, you still had a moment where that, where Luke's going to go look at those two sons for a while and feel bad. Right. There was nothing like that in Raiders. It's like, boom, <laughs> keep it going, keep it going, keep yeah. it going. And that's what those serials were like. But of course, they were only 20 minutes long. Uh-huh. And if you were to run them all together, you'd be exhausted. And that's what I think George Lucas realized. Like, let's just tire them out. Right. Yeah. It's amazing. Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. 
You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This is Ashley Iconetti from the Ben and Ashley I Almost Famous podcast. Tennessee just sounds perfect. Whether that's live music, the crack of a campfire, or kids laughing on an adventure. To start planning your trip, visit TNVacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And, of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So, all right, we're getting to the Avengers now because... We got to talk about this, and we only have so much time. Right. It's tough to name your favorite movie. Yes. And you kind of refuse to. You're just like, "Hey, I got a bunch of movies. I got a bunch of movies, jerk." <laughs> well, we all do. We all do. So let me just name one that I want to go watch right now, and I can watch again and again. Here is my criteria. Mm-hmm. I have a lot of movies that have been my favorites. Everyone does, of course. And uh, looking forward to having a conversation with my friend Chuck. I couldn't. I, I had to, I had two criteria mm-hmm. that I just I established to create to pick the one that I would talk about. One, what is the movie that I would watch again right now? Mm-hmm. Just be honest with myself. Mm-hmm. Would I watch it again right now if I could? Two, what is the movie I don't have to watch again before I see Chuck because I don't have time. <laughs> oh, <laughs> sure, I, to brush up on. That I know because I'm on book tour for my book Vacation Land. Yeah, <laughs> true stories from painful beaches. Available now. published from Viking Books, brick and mortar stores, brick and mortar stores, and online booksellers right now. Yeah, and the one that I settled on, and you guys may have heard some of my teases of this earlier in the podcast, mm-hmm. is Marvel's The Avengers, and it's important to me. Yeah. that we refer to it by its proper name, Marvel's The Avengers. Marvel's the Avengers, because yeah. that speaks to what is both beautiful mm-hmm. and terrible about this movie. <laughs> uh, well, I watched it again this morning. Yeah. Because I always brush up right before. Sure. Uh, and I had forgotten, A, how, how much is. I fucking loved that movie yeah. the first time I saw it in the <laughs> yes. theater. And how – and I mean this is jumping ahead to the end. We'll kind of go through bits of it all throughout. Well, but, I, I was concerned that you were going to be one of these – or I'm not concerned, but looking forward to you being one of these spoil sports saying, that was a terrible movie. It had no. the third act, which is true. No, the third act is the best part. All right. Let's talk, you... let's talk about Marvel's The Avengers. Yeah. You go, check. Well, I just forgot how much in the theater, how kind of over – and I wasn't a comic book. This is kind of embarrassing. I, I was no. – I, I read Archie and Richie Rich. That's not embarrassing at all. Stuff like that. Yeah. I, I don't know why I never got into superhero very comics. Very Very – I mean – I know. You know, my upbringing. It was not my – it was – I was not into those things. But, uh-huh. but my son is really into Archie. That's sweet. It speaks it – speaks I love to, that. It speaks to people on some level that isn't me, but I get it. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, I didn't read the superhero comics much. Every now and again, I would get one. Right. But I wasn't one of these who knew all this stuff. But I still found myself in the Avengers in that third act – they finally come together oh. as the Avengers, feeling this sense of thrill like a kid. Yeah. When they finally are all five or all six on that uh on that overpass or whatever. Right. In New York. Right. And that's kinda and that kinda hit home today. That's what the whole movie is. It's it's that moment 
of bringing everyone together finally. Yes. Because I'd kind of forgotten now that I've seen Age of Ultron and all of the movies in the Marvel Universe. Right. That a lot of this movie, they're not getting along. They don't like each other. They're just getting to know one another. Right. And I kind of forgot that until I watched it again. And Joss Whedon, I, I was, I, I read a quote by him talking about trying to, you know, the, there had been a draft of the script written. Mm-hmm. He looked at it and he said, no, I want to start over. And he, and he wanted to start over again. And he didn't really click into what made it work until he realized that none of these people should be together at all. Right. And um, it's not as though he invented that idea. Oh, yeah. I mean, they the original <laughs> lineup of the Avengers was uh, Iron Man, mm-hmm. Thor, and the Hulk, plus Ant-Man and the Wasp. Right. And they were originally going to be in this, right? But he just thought it was too many people, I think. Uh, Yeah. I mean, exactly. Yeah. Oh, and there hadn't been an Ant-Man movie yet, and they didn't want to do that, is what I read. Yeah. I think that the idea that Ant-Man was going to be in it was not really seriously considered. And Mm -hmm. Joss Whedon, you can tell me if I'm wrong, but uh, that that, the idea that they were even making an Ant- Ant Ant-Man is a very – a very small, no no joke intended, very small part of Marvel Mm -hmm. world. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. There was no real confidence that that was going to be a character that was going to resonate. You didn't have to have Ant-Man in the Avengers. The Avengers big three had always been Iron Man, Thor, and then Captain America once Uh once they unfroze him from ice in the comics. But but the original lineup was, let's just set, uh, let's set Ant-Man in the, well, the original lineup, as I say, was Iron Man, Thor, the Mm -hmm. Hulk, Ant-Man and the Wasp. And the reason for that, Arbitrary. Yeah. The publisher of Marvel Comics wanted something to compete with the Justice League. Right. So they – they those very early days in Marvel and they're like, what are our best-selling characters in their individual comics? Now let's mash them all up into a team. Uh-huh. There's no reason that they would ever be a team. The Hulk, right. The Hulk is a monster. Right. Like, it, just, it made no sense. And, and I gathered from this quote that Joss Whedon sort of keyed into that and realized what is – what is a group of people who don't who don't who don't fit together necessarily but right. have to work together? What is that? And it's a family. Yeah, and it's about them becoming a family. Yeah, and, and who and, don't know, even like each other in some cases. Don't even necessarily like each other. It's yeah, like exactly. Steve Rogers and Tony Stark yes. are not two guys that would like one another. Ex- exactly so. In real and life, the way that's played in the movie is done so deftly. I, I mean, totally agree. There, you know, uh, and. The, the performances are all stellar and especially discovering the relationship between uh, Tony Stark and Bruce Banner as scientists. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. So, he, he, uh, yeah, I had, a, I had a feeling in the theater that I'm getting now that I, I will say was – I had not been rivaled that just sort of sheer what the heck is this excitement uh-huh. since maybe Raiders, yeah. honestly. and And, you know, it's not – as artfully construct, I mean, it's a beautifully scripted movie. Yeah, Avengers is, um, but it, it does have that third act, which is a, a, essentially a, a roller coaster. Yeah, um, that doesn't quite mirror the the beautiful the beautiful construction of the Raiders screenplay by Lawrence Kasdan, right? Which is just artful at every every moment. Yeah, and that you know the 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 star the stars of the movie are captured during the climax. Like, yeah. Like not, they don't even see the climax of the movie happening. Never mind. You know, they'll never be allowed to happen today. Yeah. The, 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 the star, that the Harrison Ford of the movie would be imprisoned during yeah. the final moment of the film. Do you yeah, know what I mean? True. Fin- like, so, but that's, that's its own thing. You uh-huh. know what I mean? The Avengers, that Avengers was the product of such, uh, such enormous, mm-hmm. it was such an expensive endeavor so much in uh, you know Marvel Studios and and Paramount and then Disney had invested so much money mm-hmm. into building each of these characters in their own franchises, yeah. which itself was a brilliant a brilliant idea. Yeah, and then would it all work if you put all of these weird characters, this uh-huh. loner uh, technocrat, this uh, this frozen and ice time traveler dude, right? This gooder, m- this magic god, and this monster. Uh-huh. And then these two, this man and this woman who you've barely seen in these movies. Yeah, they were like, in Thor, I think, right? Wouldn't isn't that where Hawkeye they were Hawkeye had debuted in Thor uh-huh. very, very quietly, right. and um, uh, Black Widow right. uh, was in Iron Man two. Okay. I think yeah. 
that they would all that you know that that you could find a script that would bring them all together and that the chemistry would work. Yeah, it was a huge gamble, and I think that it's amazing that it that it worked. And it's all I think because Joss Whedon appreciated like these people don't belong together. That's the story. Yeah, I don't. I never got a sense that they took it for granted that. Hey, we'll just throw all these superheroes in there and it'll be awesome just right. because they're all there. Right. Like he, he really gave it a lot of thought. And all the – in fact, until the third act, almost every fight in the movie is, is, are between each other. Mm-hmm. Like the fist fights. Yeah. Like Thor fights Iron Man. Uh, Captain America kind of gets in there. Thor fights Hulk. Oh. Uh, who does it? Hawkeye fights uh, – Hawkeye fights them all because he's mind-controlled. Oh, yeah. Hawkeye and Black Widow fight each other when he's still under mind control. Right. Exactly. Uh, Hulk and Thor, Iron Man and Thor, they're all battling each other. Yeah. Well, but and, they're, and they're great fight scenes too, though. And they're great fight scenes. And it, and it's very – I mean that's a very – that may not have been in Richie Rich. <laughs> but, but, the, but the team – It's the, definitely an Archie. The superheroes <laughs> who team up and fight each other first before they come together to fight the the the, the – Join forces is against the bigger evil is a very common. Oh, okay. But I mean, it taps into that this is a this is a family squabble uh-huh. before they can get together. Yeah, they needed something to avenge. Yeah, and the name um, kind of hit home to me that that's why they're called the Avengers. I know that's kind of the that name was ran, was randomly chosen was for it? the comic book. I mean, this is the other thing that's interesting about the movie, right? Because it's now that Marvel owns movies mm-hmm. basically it's hard to recall that when marvel studios formed mm-hmm. to make iron man with john favreau in 2008 yeah such a good first movie but but they were they they were left with the dregs of their ip basically their premier characters uh, with the exception of the hulk but even the hulk wasn't part of the deal uh-huh. the hulk was paramount they got they got to use the Hulk in the Avengers because yeah. they made a deal with Paramount early on to distribute. Well, and they had misfired, or not Marvel, but a few of those. Right. Who's Eric uh, Bana? Eric Bana in the in the Ang Lee version. Yeah, which yeah, I, I was a very disturbing movie. Yeah, yeah. and then the, the Ed Norton movie, one's okay. Only movie where I ever yelled at someone. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> Do you want to know why? Yelled on the at the screen. I yelled at someone in the theater. Oh, I, wow. I hulked out in What'd the theater. You do? I went to see this comic book movie. Uh huh. Made by an incredible director yeah. that I thought I was going to really love and appreciate. And yeah. I got very confused because uh, y- you have this basic story. It is Jekyll and Hyde. Uh-huh. A man unleashes the monster within him and cannot control it, right? Mm-hmm. And and that's great. That's a great story. But there, there was layered into this version – I guess something that had come later in the comics long after I had stopped reading comics, which was that, in fact, uh, Bruce Banner had been abused as a child. Oh, right. And that, that that somehow psychologically enabled the Hulk to start forming, that the gamma radiation brought that out or whatever. Yeah, yeah, I forgot I mean, about that. They're always writing that kind of stuff to make it interesting in comics. But uh-huh. It's like – if you're making the movies, let's start with the basic story. Dude gets a dude, dude. You know, in this case, gets bombarded with gamma radiation or swallows yeah. a pill. Experiments with science goes before, farther than he should, and he turns into a monster. That's good enough. It's a good enough story, yeah. right? But they did. They brought in Nick Nolte to be the abusive. Yeah, father. yeah, I remember that now. And uh, and I was like, this is terrible. This is and, like kids are gonna like. I'm sorry. I appreciate that you want to make them. I, I, I of all people appreciate that you want to take comic books seriously uh-huh. and make them into a movie worth making. And you don't think they're just for kids, but guess what? They're also for kids. Right. They always will be for kids. Yeah. And I think like this, I just remember thinking to myself, this movie has a lot more like, uh, toddler torture scenes in it. Uh huh. I was getting very upset. I was also a new father at the time, so right. it was really hard to take. And and it was an early showing on one of the first days. I was there with my friend Darren Strauss, the novelist. Uh, I'm just going to plug his uh, his sure. latest Go memoir, ahead. Half a Life. <laughs> and there were some people there with with little kids. Now, mm-hmm. not just kids who I would feel bad for because they were being traumatized, but like two year olds. Yeah, and they were screaming and crying, and they were just. It just would go on and on. Like they just didn't stop screaming or crying. And finally I got up and I said, take your children out of the theater. This movie isn't for kids. <laughs> Did they? No. 
And really? someone else told me, you're being a you, – shut up. You're being a monster. Really? And I was. I turned into the monster. And uh, I, I was <laughs> – the Hulk within me was unleashed. And Very I was, metaphorical. It took me a long time to, to bring him back in. Wow. My trick, my trick, Chuck, is I'm always angry. Well, that's one of the best lines. One of the greatest lines in movies. It is. It's um, – and I had that written down, one of the best lines. And there are like three moments there in the end that I'm always angry line – Right afterward, when when uh, Captain America, when Cap has got the plan, you do this, you fly up there, you do this, and Hulk, and Hulk smash, yeah, fucking great. Uh, and then the best moment of the entire movie, and one that I genuinely screamed with laughter again on my couch today, was uh, when Hulk goes up there and faces off with Loki. Yeah, puny god. Loki calls him a, a dull creature. Yeah, and he just. <laughs> Boom, 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 yeah, but boom. the way he did it, like he did, he went so ragdoll. The way yeah. Joss Whedon like pulled that off, yeah, it could not have been more satisfying as a moviegoer. It was fin- it was fantastic, and as I say, you know, none of it had to work. None of it had to work at all. Yeah, and, and when they made Iron Man in two thousand eight, mm-hmm. as I was saying, they were left with the dregs of their intellectual property because, like, what X Men, which was the biggest comic book of all time. Uh-huh. Was and is still owned by Fox. Oh, right. Marvel Comics in the early 90s was facing bankruptcy. Uh And they sold off their movie rights in order to stay solid. Oh, okay. So that's why Spider-Man was with Sony. Right. Columbia Pictures. That's why uh, uh, X-Men and Fantastic Four were with Fox. So the actual Marvel stuff, they just didn't own much. It was just what they were left with. Oh. And the Avengers as a comic book was a big comic book. And mm-hmm. these are, you know, Captain America is a big character and Thor yeah. is a big character. But the, they were never the marquee characters right. in the Marvel Universe, which were Spider-Man, Fantastic Four, and the X-Men, which were the biggest money-making in comics of yeah. all time and I think maybe even still. And the fact that the X-Men movie worked mm-hmm. was this like, oh, what did we do? Like, why did we let why did we let this go? Yeah. You know what I mean? And what are we going to do? We got – Iron Man. Like I was a – I'm a Marvel guy. Right. And I read those comics. Mm-hmm. It's like if, if there was only Iron Man left at the comic book shop. Yeah, I, I know, remember Iron Man wasn't like the biggest deal in no, the world. It's like, ugh. You yeah. Know, this kind of like – this kind of second-rate Batman. Yeah, they made them much – all of those much bigger now through these movies. Oh, yeah, for sure. And Captain America was always – was always this total square. Mm-hmm. Like I, 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 I liked him and I liked Mike, I liked Mike Zeck's pencils in his early, <laughs> mid-80s run. Yeah. Uh, Thor, I could never really get behind because yeah. that's. I mean, I love Jack Kirby, but but Jack Kirby's fascination with uh, uh, pantheons of gods, right? Which he would do over and over again in his career. Yeah, Kirby didn't, was the illustrator. Didn't resonate. Uh, yeah, like uh, and I knew I knew Norse mythology a little bit, but it's like a god really, and he looked dumb with his hair, yeah, and his, and, and his wings and stuff like that. Uh-huh. And the and the Avengers became, you know, as it, as I mentioned, they were just sort of like. These are our biggest – it was almost like making the movie mirrored the making of the comic. It's like uh-huh. we got to do this. Yeah. Who do we have? Right. Iron Man, Thor, the Hulk. These are the – this is what we got. Yeah. Throw them together. Make them a team. And over the years, it became part of the lore of the Avengers that the that the lineup was constantly changing. Oh, was, really? Yeah. It was, kind of, it, was, it was usually some variation of Thor, Captain America, and Iron Man. Mm-hmm. But then they would leave and then – Quicksilver and the Scarlet Witch would come in. Oh, right. All these sort of secondary weird characters that weren't really big mm-hmm. enough to merit a, a title of their own. They just throw them into the Avengers for a little while. You're familiar with uh, Wonder Man? <laughs> was there one? Of course. No. Simon Williams' Wonder Man. Really? Yeah. He was a very early Avengers. He was a, he was briefly an Avenger or I think he was an Avengers villain who turned good, mm-hmm. became an Avenger, then was killed. And that was a big thing that, the, that a character died. Right. And then he eventually came back in a very convoluted way. And Wonder Man was – he was almost as strong as Thor. Mm-hmm. I think that was his power. His <laughs> eyes were red and they lit up. So he had to wear red sunglasses all the time. But he wasn't like Cyclops who could shoot lasers. Right. And he had the great – in the 80s – and also he had jetpacks on either – on his belt so he could fly. <laughs> with jetpacks on his belt. He had like – Sort of an Iron Man Jet thing. thrust coming down his thighs. That's right. how he flew. <laughs> <laughs> but in the 80s, you got to check this out. Everybody check out Wonder Man Safari Jacket because <laughs> they, he, Wonder Man had the great – it was the greatest superhero outfit of all time. He For a while, he wore this ugly green and, and red outfit. Uh-huh. 
And then he just and then they just said, let's just totally redesign. Let's rethink what a superhero costume should be. And he just wore like black tights. Yeah. A blue turtleneck and over it a red safari jacket with a belt. <laughs> and that was it. Wow. And it was like I was like, well, I never thought that could be a that's a costume. Uh-huh. It was like he went to Banana Republic one day. Yeah. The old Banana Republic. <laughs> yeah. When it was uh, yeah. safari stuff. Yeah, he was just sort of like a cat. He was he was like a, a, a like a guy you would see in a Cuddy Sark uh, uh-huh. uh, ad on the on the on the back of Omni magazine in the seventies. <laughs> like he wasn't wearing a mask or anything. It was really innovative. But uh-huh. it's, it's considered to be a joke now, but it was really innovative at the time. So that would be like at Comic Con, there is someone that cosplays that out of I don't know irony. I would, yeah, sure, yeah. It's an iconically unusual costume. Uh-huh. Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This is Ashley Iconetti from the Ben and Ashley I Almost Famous podcast. Tennessee just sounds perfect. Whether that's live music, the crack of a campfire, or kids laughing on an adventure. To start planning your trip, visit tnvacation.com. Tennessee. Sounds perfect. Hey, girlfriends. It's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. But that's so, you know, that that they built out of these characters. It was, you know, it was what was left to them. Mm -hmm. And with and I think, you know, look, it doesn't give me great pleasure to. Uh, applaud some of the largest corporations in the world for right. for their for their innovation. But Marvel Studios, Kevin, I don't know how to pronounce his last name, Kevin Feige or Kevin mm-hmm. Feige or whoever, whatever. Please put me in a movie, Kevin. Yeah, come on, by now, sure, right? To play Wonder Man. Uh, no, I want to play Modok. That's a very spe- special <laughs> oh, character. I've heard you talk about yeah. that. Very special character. I hope. Please don't. I know that you will probably cast Patton Oswalt. It's probably a better idea. But please. <laughs> Please think of John Hodgman for Modoc, please. Mental organism designed only for killing. That's a, a side note. But it's clear they worked very thoughtfully to introduce these moderately known characters mm. to audiences and and then give them a reason to come together. Yeah. And again, it was like uh, – it was a tr- tremendous gamble that it, that it would work and that it worked not only obviously financially successfully but I think artistically so successfully. Yeah. I mean those movies – were like even for a guy like me that was not the big comic book guy. Like I love the Iron Man movie. Yeah, I love those Captain America movies. Oh my god, uh, Christopher Evans. The Thor movie was meh. The first yeah, one wasn't Hemsworth great. Chris Hemsworth is so lovable. Yeah, and, and like I can't wait to see Thor Ragnarok. I've heard it's good because I feel like they finally honed in on the the intu- the inherent goofiness uh-huh. of Thor. Yeah, it was always there in Thor. I didn't see the Dark World. Uh, uh, yeah, I did. 
yeah, lean into your brand. Thor is his big doofus, right. big lovable doofus. Yeah. That's great. He's got good one-liners. Yeah. But by the time Avengers rolled around, I was all in on all these characters because right. of those movies, right. because exactly. of the way they did it. Right. And Chris Evans, like, you know, Captain America, to me, he's was so always a, kind of the square dude. Uh-huh. He's so Chris good, Evans though. made me care about that mm-hmm. character so hard. Yeah. And as much as Robert Downey Jr. deserves, you know, credit for really in, invigorating this idea of Iron Man and just stealing every scene that he's in. Chris, yeah. That pairing of Chris Evans, uh-huh. his straightness and his decency. Yeah, a truly virtuous dude. Yeah. And it didn't and it didn't feel like they always refer to even in, in the comics, he's like a Boy Scout. He's not like a Boy Scout. This guy saw war and he knows what it's about. Right. And playing that in the scene where, you know, he's confronting Robert Downey Jr. saying – you know what I've I've known men who are worth a thousand of you or whatever it uh-huh. is. You know who died, they didn't have a suit. Right, you know, put on the suit. Yeah, and that he never understood the meaning of sacrifice or losing a a soldier, basically. Right, and which he said is we're what, not soldiers. Right, and that's what, but that's what motivates mm-hmm. the incredible sacrifice at the end. Yeah, it's a beautifully that that at least emotionally, it's as well constructed as any screenplay I've ever seen. Yeah, and they didn't uh, appreciated that they didn't uh, that moment. Where he was flying the the nuclear warhead up through the the tesseract hole, right? Um, they didn't overdo it with a sappiness. Like you just had the one line of Captain America saying, "You know, this is a one way trip," and that was kind of it. Yeah, they didn't like pour the syrup all over it. No, you like you knew what was going on. Absolutely. And you also, let's be honest, you always also knew he wasn't going to die. Well, well, actually, maybe because they had already done the Iron Man movie. So yeah, you could have. That could have been an you end. You could have seen a situation where RDJ wanted out. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's a good point. Um, but I think he was locked in for some more movies at that point. So we knew. And no one wants to see him. I mean, that's the thing. No. These guys, this is it, I think. For I mean, it's amazing to think. And I don't want to over, I don't want to sell this like some, well, you know what? I think it's a great, it's a great piece of culture. Mm-hmm. You know, what they were, what they did was what we, who read comics in the 70s and 80s thought could never be done. It's what we em- most enjoyed about com- uh, comics, especially Marvel comics yeah. in the 70s and 80s, but that these characters shared a world mm-hmm. and they shared a continuity. And it was short enough within our lifespan that we could age with them and things could change and the changes would show in the characters. Right. And that only can last for about, you know, 20 years, mm-hmm. let's say. You know, 75, 85 to 95 for me, those were my – that was my generation of reading comics, and that sh- that share the idea that the, you could have four, five, six, however many huge budget pictures mm-hmm. that all share a world together and all affect each other in that way was so far beyond what we would imagine. That's what we loved about comics, yeah, and that's what makes these movies so special. And with I think with basically they're saying or starting to hint or prepare us for the fact that after. Avengers Infinity War 2, right. that's the end, and they're going to start over again. With new people. Sure. And why not? I mean, look at uh, Spider-Man yeah. Homecoming. Yeah, great like, movie. Great movie. Great, best, best one since Spider-Man 2 original. Yeah, I mean, these are characters that you, you know, that they're not written in stone. They're meant to be yeah. recreated and reinvented and, and so forth. So, And here's the only thing, last thing I'm going to say about it. It's on my do- mental docket for uh-huh. the Avengers. The other thing that Joss Whedon did or whoever it was who clued into this, um, I'm not sure how conscious they were when they were doing it, but Mm -hmm. it's very apparent now. It's part of what makes it so great is that the Avengers began as a knockoff of Justice League way back when. Not a knockoff, but trying to catch that same energy, Uh create a a team. By the time the Avengers came out, the D, the DC universe of movies was, was a world of shit. <laughs> like, and yeah, and you know, Wonder Woman I thought was great. I really enjoyed I Wonder Woman. Not, loved it. Not a perfect movie. Uh-huh. None of these are. They can't be because yeah. of the money involved and the decision making and everything else. But I mean, it was, it was pretty, pretty. I mean, just a beautiful yeah, movie. I thoroughly that I, enjoyed. That it. I loved. Um, but there had been attempts to make a Justice League movie in the in the mm-hmm. 06, 07. It just didn't come together. And someone realized like, oh, guess what? Uh, uh, Captain America, Superman, and uh, Iron Man's Batman. Yeah. Let's play that dynamic. Right. Uh, wealthy playboy, uh, orphan, uh-huh. who's got a bunch of toys. Yeah, selfish. Versus the embodiment of the American spirit. Yep. Uh, uh, who's a super good guy. Uh-huh. 
And I don't remember that ever being a part of the comics. It may have been of the Avengers comics. Right. But it definitely was a, a part of the DC comic universe mm-hmm. going back to 1986 uh, when Frank Miller wrote The Dark Knight Returns. Right. It was very – that is the the comic that became Batman versus Superman where it became this this this, this debate between – America and apple pie versus mm-hmm. doing what it doing what needs to be done to protect innocent people or whatever. Right. Um, so I thought that that was like, well, guess what? You made a secret Justice League movie too. Yeah, I thought that was pretty awesome. Much better too. Yeah. All right. Uh, so we finish up with two short segments here on Movie Crush. Boo! Two short segments. <laughs> One called "What Ebert Said." This movie is a complete disappointment. Uh, the great Roger Ebert. I always like to read a bit of what his review of the movie. He gave uh, he gave this movie three stars, and after reading the review, it was sort of a generous three stars because he didn't seem like he enjoyed it very much. Yeah, to be honest. But this is toward the end for him. Well, you're saying that he was impaired? Well, I don't know. I'm just saying that I this is the newest movie that's been on Movie Crush, so I didn't even know if Ebert was around at the time. I met Roger Ebert. Oh, uh, really? It was amazing. That's he great. couldn't speak at that time, but uh, he signed my book. And, uh, uh, that's awesome. He had, you know, he could communicate uh, Stephen Hawking style. Right. Did, did you see his the documentary? It's I so have good. not seen it. No. Oh, it's great. Two stars. I take that, <laughs> Roger Ebert, giving my Avengers three stars. So uh, he says this at the end of his review: Comic Con nerds will have multiple orgasms. Predicts critic David Edelstein in New York Magazine, confirming something I had vaguely uh, suspected about them. If he is correct, it's time for desperately needed movies to re-educate nerds in the joys of sex. The Avengers is done well by Joss Whedon with style and energy. It provides its fans with exactly what they desire. Whether it is exactly what they deserve is arguable. Obviously, Roger Ebert is an amazing person mm-hmm. um, and an extremely thoughtful and tasteful and an extremely great writer and a man uh, of extremely good taste, but he got it wrong. Agreed. He got it wrong. You don't get them all right. He didn't like a clockwork orange either. I did that one the other day. And yeah, he, but uh, you know, that's the thing. It's like, uh, mo- you know, the people write movie reviews. They've seen them one time. Mm-hmm. You know, they're seeing five movies a week. Yeah. Uh, something hits you the wrong way. Sure. For whatever reason. Um, you, and you go on record saying – Nerds don't have sex. Right. Frankly, <laughs> that's the job. frankly, that's a pejorative. That's offensive to me. And I and I and I, with great loving memory to Roger Ebert, I give him one finger up. <laughs> no, not at all. I don't say that. But I bet I would bet I would bet uh, I would bet uh, uh, Republic credits a number of Republic credits that Roger Ebert would would revisit that movie and think differently about it now. Right. Marvel's The Avengers, I mean. Uh, and then finally, five questions with John Hodgman. Yes. Number one, first movie you remember seeing in the movie theater. Uh, you know what? I am going to go with, just because I was thinking about it, I feel like maybe Born Free. Oh, okay. But, the, but one of the earliest movies I saw in the movie theater was at the Coolidge mm-hmm. before the – Balcony had been turned into a second movie theater. I was under 10 for sure. And my babysitter, Missy, <laughs> uh, took me to see uh, uh, Annie Hall. Oh. Yeah. And there was a scene where he sneezes all the cocaine away. Uh-huh. I'm like, what was that stuff? She said, I'll tell you later. <laughs> and you went home and blasted some rails with your babysitter. <laughs> I think she is just one of those things where she's like, I got to do something with this guy. Yeah, yeah. This little guy. What am I going to do? This That's is funny. But maybe you'll fall asleep to this. Uh, well, this is perfect. Uh, second question. First R-rated movie because you teased it earlier with a story. If I remember correctly, uh, the first R-rated movie I saw was 1984 starring John Hurt. Yeah. Uh, and Pretty intense movie for uh, a kid. Richard Burton. Yeah. Uh, well, I was – so I was 13. Uh, I was in prime – uh, affectation mode. Uh-huh. Uh, I had read 1984 and, you know, I'd, we were, we were all think you know, that was, that was prime reading of 1984 time. Right. And the movie had come out and I was not one to break the rules to go see an R-rated movie, but mm-hmm. on the other hand, this was famous world literature. So. Right. Yeah. Have you seen that movie? I don't think so. 
it's worth seeing. Yeah? It's really well directed, incredibly well acted. In fact, I know I have it. Horribly disturbing. Mm-hmm. I mean, really, it gets it. Right. And the fact that they made it at all, like if it didn't happen to be 1984, if it didn't happen to be the year 1984, no one would have thought to make a movie of 1984. Right. Because it's just so d- terrible and depressing. Uh-huh. And they leaned into the depression. It's oh, great. so it was released in 84 as well? Yeah, that was the whole thing. Gotcha. With music by the Eurythmics. Oh. Yeah. That's great. Get the kids in. All right. Number three, do you walk out of a bad movie and do you remember doing so? Uh, recently or at all? Um, I don't remember ever walking out of a movie ever. Oh, wow. Yeah. Right. If I'm in a movie theater, I like it. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I like the experience of being in a movie theater. I can't remember being – the only thing I would do it would be uh, being of, offended. Right. But I've not been of, offended in that way. Okay. Yeah. Uh, number four, can you name a guilty pleasure or do you have one? Movie-wise? Mm-hmm. A lot of people don't, but uh, – I don't feel guilty about any of my pleasures. Okay. Um, yeah, no, I can't think of anything. All right. Uh, like I don't have t- 20 viewings of the cable guy under my belt. <laughs> but I got a cop too. Number five, finally. No offense to the cable guy, by the way. I'm, I mean, sure. Ben Stiller directed that movie, I think, right? Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I, I'd like to work again in Hollywood. Ben, you did a great job. It was a good movie. Yeah. It was ever, ahead of its yeah. time, I think. I think I, I agree with you. I think I think I didn't get it because it was ahead of its time when it came out. And and Jim Carrey was doing some weird stuff in that movie. Yes. Yeah. You're really yeah. sucking up to Ben Stiller right now. I, I, I want to work. And number five, finally, John Hodgman. Movie Going 101. Author of Vacation Land. <laughs> movie Going 101. What you, what's your uh, movie rituals? Where do you sit? What do you get at the concession stand? Oh. I, I find that most people kind of have a thing that they do. Uh, it's so generally speaking, old school going to movies, Mm -hmm. uh, popcorn with butter. Okay. Diet Coke. All right. Um, I used to like to go close to the front. Now I find that painful, Mm -hmm. but I'm, I'm a closer up rather than further away person. Okay. And I like to get there early and get seats that I like rather than, and sit around rather than, you know, get, get there late and have to sit way in the back. Like when I went to go see uh, Battle of the Sexes. Right. It's a good movie, by the way. Oh, is that out already? The In New York City it is. Oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> well maybe down here we're going to get it by, by we'll Oscar season. We'll see what happens. <laughs> yeah, I want to see that. tennis movie. Was it good? It was great. All right. Uh, Emma Stone is fantastic in it. Mm-hmm. And Steve Burrell is great in it. And everyone's great in it. Uh, but now I will say this. My going to the movies is an infrequent ritual. Yeah. Um, because why? Uh, I don't have time mm-hmm. and most things I can see on my home right. screens. But if I'm going to the movies, it's most likely because a big movie is coming out that I want to see. Right. It's usually some kind of visual fan, you know, fantasia. Like a Blade Runner, even though you haven't seen that. Even yet. though I, I would have, I happen to be on book tour for my book Vacation Land, yeah. which is available now, johnodgman.com <laughs> or bit.ly slash painful beaches. You can come see me on tour. When is this coming out? Uh, kind of whenever you want to, like I can slot you in there All right, earlier than later. Um, but, uh, when I do, so I like, even though I live in Brooklyn, mm-hmm. uh, I still like to go to the, the, I think it's now an AMC Lincoln Square. It used to be Sony Lincoln Square. It was Lowe's Lincoln Square. Oh, you go into Square. the big city? I go into the big city. <laughs> yeah. They, atop, atop of there, it's, it's a huge complex, uh, and on top of it is a massive IMAX theater. Mm-hmm. And it's assigned seating, so yeah. I never have to worry it's, about. That's it. the best. Yeah, so I'll, I'll, I'll go make a day of it and go in and see Marvel's The Avengers right. or something similar. <laughs> I'm looking very much forward to uh, my local movie theater, which was called the Pavilion. Uh, it's now being renovated by the Nighthawk Theater Group in Brooklyn. Oh yeah, and that's going to be a reserved seating. Eat some French fries in your in your seat That'll kind of place when that opens up. I think I'll see a lot more movies. Yeah. And by the way, listeners in Austin, Texas, November 18th, I'm going to uh-huh. perform the one-man show that my book Vacation Land is based on for the first and last time in Texas. Chuck, you were there when I performed the show Vacation Land here in Atlanta. That's right. It's a good show, right? It's, it's a good great. one-man comedy show. It is really, really great. And uh, and uh, I haven't been performing it because I wrote a book based on it. Mm-hmm. And now I'm going to go back. I never performed it in Austin, so I'm going to go be perform fun. in Austin on uh, November 18th. Where were you at there? The Paramount Theater. Yeah, that we were just there. Yeah. Tickets are available. Go to johnhodgman.com slash tour if you'd like to come and see me. And I'll be signing 
selling books and signing those books or anything else you want to bring or or foist into my face, I'll be there all night long talking to you if you want to come. All right. Thanks, buddy. Thank you so much. I like talking about movies with you. We should do it again. Okay. That was fun. That's exactly how I thought it would go, actually, which is uh, us goofing around and talking about a lot of stuff and a little bit about the Avengers, which is pretty much what uh, what I expected. So big thanks to John for coming in. Uh, go out and buy his book, Vacation Land. Go out and listen to Judge John Hodgman, his fantastic show that I am uh, have been a litigant on. I've been a guest witness on. And one day I hope to be a guest bailiff when uh, Jesse can't make it. And so I'll complete the Judge John Hodgman trifecta. Uh, great, great show. I'm a big fan of that one still. Listen every week on the Max Fun Network. And, um, you know, just follow John on uh, Twitter. He is at Hodgman, H-O-D-G-M-A-N. Uh, funny Twitter stuff. His great Instagram. He's got a fun Tumblr with a lifestyle newsletter that he puts out every week. Uh, he's, he's easy to find. So support the man. He supports us. Uh, and I hope you enjoyed it. Until next week on Movie Crush, uh, why don't you give the Netflix a rest and get yourself to a theater for a change? Movie Crush is produced, edited, engineered, and scored by Noel Brown from our podcast studio at Pond City Market, Atlanta, Georgia. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This is Amy Brown from Four Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways that Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthier happens together. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. With the new Dexcom G7, you can achieve better diabetes results without painful finger sticks. It sends your glucose numbers to your compatible phone or watch, so you can always see where you are and where you're heading. See how food and exercise affects your glucose, making it easier to spend more time in range and lower your A1C. Take control of your diabetes with the number one recommended CGM brand. It's easy to get started today at Dexcom.com. That's Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com. Com.com slash compatibility.